This is a Rooster Teeth production. Rumors of secret government experiments have existed for decades. And for every rumor we hear, there are likely five more that we'll never know existed. But what exactly are they hiding? A decommissioned military base in New York swirls with stories about time travel, mind control, and portals to other dimensions. Today, we're going to analyze the Montauk Project. This is Red Web. Welcome back to another Mystery Monday. I'm your resident mystery enthusiast, Trevor Collins. With me as always, Alfredo Diaz, our skeptic, our critic. What what would you say this week? Ooh, Uh, this week, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm feeling feisty. Uh, This week I'm saying we we hopping over the fence to get into that base. Ooh, feisty this week. (laughs) Not on Skinwalker Ranch, though. So this is going to be like uh, the the culmination, the end of this uh, trilogy, if you will, of the time travel portal alien centric episodes that we're doing here at the aft end of the spooky season and then next week we'll start going back into some more traditional true crime and stuff and start stretching our wingspan a little bit as it were because you know we like to try to dabble in a bunch of different mysteries and conspiracies and stuff but uh we got another one this week the montauk project and a little you know a little bonus in there we're going to start talking about the philadelphia experiment as well because that's going to lay the foundation for what we're going to talk about have you heard of either of those before? No, uh, I guess there's just like a, a plethora of all these like weird things and mysteries and conspiracies. Like, I don't know, week to week is just like, here's another base. <laughs> it seems endless. House, here's some person. Mm-hmm. People are crazy. <laughs> well, we will be you, the audience. We will be your library for all of these endless mysteries every week. We'll kind of, as you know, if you've listened to this show, you already know this. But for those of you new to this show, because the show is continuing to grow, thanks to all of you. Uh, every week we do a, a, a deep dive into uh, a new mystery. And we're just mystery enthusiasts, as I said. You know, like, we're, we're not uh, scholars and well-versed in every little facet of every topic that we talk about, but we try as best we can to touch on every detail possible. And with that said, why don't we go into the Philadelphia experiment, start laying the groundwork, get that legwork going, and then we'll touch into the Montauk project a little bit after. Let's do it. Let's do it. So the Philadelphia experiment, we're going to have to go all the way back to the 50s and a little bit before, actually. But in 1955 is where we're going to start with Morris K. Jessup, a UFO researcher and astronomer who received a series of letters from Carlos Miguel Allende, also known as Carl M. Allen, after publishing his latest book, The Case for the UFO. Allende's letters were sent from Texas, but his address was listed as being from Pennsylvania. And over the years during his correspondences with others, he continued to send letters from different locations, such as Mexico, Texas, and Minnesota. Simply speaking, his location was never precisely tracked down. Allende claimed to have been present for a World War II experiment in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The purpose of that experiment was supposedly to try and cloak Allied ships. And uh, it was based on Einstein's unified field theory, which, simply put, is a a theoretical level of physics that tries to poetically combine all the different uh, fundamental forces of this world, the strong and weak forces, the gravitational force, and the electromagnetic force. Those are all the forces that you will experience in and around your life, 
And the unified theory, field theory, is essentially just trying to combine that into a nice little equation about how all of those forces relate to each other. You know, like, when people out there go, oh, do you believe, you know, hey, Fredo, do you believe in aliens? I go, I mean, come on, the chances that there's no other, like, life form out there in the universe, I mean, come on, it's got to be pretty slim. And I kind of feel that same way with, like, certain pieces of military tech. I feel like even if it's not actually functional, I feel like there's some level of camouflage that the military has and is either used or has yet to like field test. Yeah. I mean, even today, cloaking devices that you're seeing, you know, there's, you know, like pieces of plastic that essentially they blur what's behind it in a weird way that make it yeah, kind I've of look that. like you're gone. Just yeah. from like, it, it, I, I don't know how to properly explain it. But it, it just kind of stretches light horizontally. And so mm-hmm. it blurs you out, essentially. Yeah. And then there's other things like, obviously, stealth technology. But that's just what that's public. That's what we know now. Exactly. You have that, to imagine. Those are just like, you know, your everyday, I mean, everyday, but like, you're, you're just <laughs> you know, like your public, everyday public facing smart people. that are just like, I'm just trying this stuff out in my garage. Right. The government with a massive amount of funds. I mean, come on. I would love to just walk into whatever that that the biggest highest you know tech room that the government has and just look at all the crazy things that were just like that's in a movie we actually have that now like yeah i feel like there'd be some really cool things to look at yeah like you're saying whether it's theoretical and on paper like a patent waiting to happen or is actually being experimented with it who knows so it's totally applicable that back in world war ii in the 40s and 50s that some sort of technology was theorized and in place and trying to be tested. Right. Whether it was something mind-blowing, or, or, or at least at the time it was certainly mind-blowing, but whether it's mind-blowing to us now, what that piece... It, it could be it could be radar stealth, or it could be like invisibility stealth, etc. But, and that's what kind of leads into the, to the next point here, is that some were saying that the goal of this experiment was to turn ships completely invisible. But then others were saying that the goal was to detect seafloor anomalies, which is interesting. Totally different uh, goals there, but maybe to look for... <laughs> like Atlantis? Like, what are we talking about We could look for Atlantis, or we could look I mean? for, you know, enemy submarines. Yeah, enemy subs, yeah. Or any sort of mines placed underwater. I don't know. But in July and August of 1943, so this is going back a bit, initial tests of the experiment began with the ship, the USS Eldridge. Reportedly, they faced limited success, with one resulting in the Eldridge turning almost completely invisible, being replaced by a greenish fog. Which, to me, that says, that screams success. Because if you think of like a horror film in the 40s, a greenish fog, that's terrifying. If you're looking for a ship on the horizon and you see a a greenish fog coming at you that then suddenly starts blasting you with artillery, I don't care who you are, that thing's terrifying, you're gonna just flee. Yeah. Or are you going to try to shoot the ghost on the seas? I don't know. But also, what kind of level, like, what level of, t- of camouflage is that? If it's just like, oh, there's just green fog. That's not normal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's very it's, eerie. It's, it's very yeah, eerie. It's, it, it'll definitely confuse people, maybe mm-hmm. buy a little bit of time, you know. But, yeah, green fog isn't, like, a thing. But, so, <laughs> they were able to camouflage it, make it look like green fog fog and this was like yeah. official like they reported said that this this worked this happened so this is from various 
ex-crew members, uh, folks that were in the Navy around this time. These, these are just eyewitness accounts of okay. the situation. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was like a public thing. We did this. I'm like, wow, how have I not heard of this? Okay. Yeah, there are some, I, I, we'll get into it a little bit more later, but there are some government experiments that are fully declassified. This is one that is still in that kind of story phase, right? The right. conspiracy phase. Yeah. Um, okay. and, and it's also one that if it were true, I wouldn't imagine that it would be could be public anytime soon because the implications of invisibility and soon you'll hear about teleportation are oh god okay <laughs> are enormous right in especially in the military world so you'd think that they want to keep this under wraps for a while oh yeah as long as possible and i don't want to like get ahead of myself here but this is when you start to think like that's when you start to have to balance like okay is it made public because it's it there's nothing here like when uh, when something's declassified, it's like, oh, it's because there's literally no substantial evidence to support what we were after. We can make this de declassified and it's fine. And then the things that are classified, then you have to split the hairs like, all right, well, is it because that they're onto something or is it because that this is just full fledged conspiracy? You know what I mean? That's true. Damn. But anyway, I I digress. So what yep. happened is, so some some crew members that were on this ship supposedly were stricken with severe nausea, while others were supposedly embedded into the structure of the ship itself after the ship reappeared. And after that test, the experiment was scaled down to instead test for the ability to cloak only on the radar. Essentially, you know, the little blip that you'd see. Mm -hmm. And and we've ha have since reached that level of stealth, right? Uh, we have boats, right. helicopters. Planes, mostly planes, that have that stealth technology. On October of that year, a few months later, of 1943, the experiment was done again, and some say after failure to properly recalibrate the equipment. And so the Eldridge turned completely invisible in a flash of blue light and teleported to Norfolk, Virginia, over 200 miles away. Oh, what? Nah. 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 Which is... I. Now, I've heard of this, the Philadelphia experiment for a while, and that was the key piece that I knew. I knew that it had gone invisible and that it had teleported somewhere else. And what always stood out to me, and listen, I don't know the first thing about theoretically or otherwise going invisible, <laughs> but I mean, it seems like you're not going invisible. It seems like you're teleporting. And I yeah. guess like if you're no longer where you were, sure, you seem invisible, but it always made me wonder did they inadvertently step into the realm of teleportation or is this just a weird happenstance of let's try to go invisible whoops we teleported or something right, right. i don't know that discovery led to something else but yeah no i don't believe you nah, nah, that didn't happen <laughs> no <laughs> we're just teleporting and stuff okay. just flipping right. around this world it reportedly sat in the view of the ss andrew furiseth for an extended period of time before vanishing again and reappearing in its original spot back in Philadelphia. Some say, in addition to that, that the ship also went back in time 10 minutes. Which to me, I'm wondering, did they get the microscopes out and look at their beard hairs? Like, listen, pal, you had five o'clock shadow before you disappeared, you came yeah. back. Hold on you got, here. You got a 4.50 uh, AM look on right now. What's Growing going on? some hair, what's going on here? <laughs> Maybe, I, obviously, the answer would be clocks. Uh, would, all the clocks would be turned back. Okay, so they went... They camouflaged, <laughs> teleported, it came back, and now there's also time travel involved? Yeah. So, long story <laughs> okay. short, up until this point, is there's an experiment here trying to work on stealth. 
in the way of being invisible to the naked eye. They tried an experiment. People got splinched into the walls, Harry Potter style, and it was considered a failure because it ended up being a greenish haze that made everyone feel ill or hurt in some way. A few months later, they tried it again. It teleported to Norfolk, Virginia, 200 miles away, came back, and it looked like the clocks had either stopped or were 10 minutes across the ship were 10 minutes earlier than everywhere else. And that's so far what we got. Look, I'll tell you what happened. It failed. And so they went, you know what? Let's just say all this stuff happened. <laughs> well, <laughs> what, what blows down. my mind is that these aren't small like cities that you, you would have to think that someone saw something, whether they yeah, were sailors right? in the Navy or just like people at the beach in Norfolk, Virginia, just swimming about their day and the bam, shit. Someone had to see something somewhere. There's way too many people. Uh, <laughs> you know, I guess I'm sure the government hushed them up. Yeah. Well, upon returning, some sailors were found to have contracted mysterious illnesses. Some went insane and some were again found embedded or fused with parts of the ship. Two of the sailors even disappeared from a nearby bar at the same time. And now this this is another piece that stands out to me that, that makes me wonder... Because if the machinations on the ship that are doing this, you know, they would be localized so that way they didn't inadvertently either make invisible or teleport the water around it or or whatever, right? If it's in a harbor, you don't want to suddenly teleport the entire bar nearby. But it yoinked these two sailors out of a nearby bar. And I, I don't know, it just, it's like a very strange, like, wh- how would it know to go for them? How would it know to essentially grab those two guys? Like, uh, they were what on the ship. What made them so Yoink. special? Like, it just, it just seems strange. This is, you tell me a wild story here. <laughs> we, listen, we, we've got a, we're on, we're in a stretch of a couple wild ones. Like Holy I said, hell. now this will propose to explain away some eyewitnesses because some claim that the remainder of the ship's crew, the people that were injured or made ill or in some way disposed of, were brainwashed to forget that the experiment had happened. Ooh. And there was supposedly complex equipment on board of the ship that enabled uh, the ship to execute what it did. Like multiple generators were placed uh, in the hold of the ship to facilitate this experiment. But yeah, that's where we're at. Allende uh, ended up sending 50 letters in total to Jessup. And in 1957, Jessup was contacted by the Office of Naval Research, or ONR, and they had come into possession of a copy of Jessup's book, which had been heavily annotated by three different authors, as evidenced by the different pens used, and likely the different penmanship. Whoever wrote these annotations seemed to be extremely knowledgeable on UFOs and Jessup's work himself, and then after analyzing the handwriting and style, of the writing and the subject matter of that writing, Jessup actually believed that Allende was responsible for all of the annotations. And the ONR paid for a small print run of the annotated book, which became known as the Varro edition to the book. And that's essentially everything that we have on the Philadelphia Experiment to, to lay the groundwork for where we're going. But it, but it does stand out to me that this Allende individual, especially if all these annotations were his, is either a very intelligent individual who is certainly attached to this very intriguing experiment, or they're a fanatic uh, of UFOs and that they have a bunch of pseudoscience that they want to apply to this experiment. But it's interesting. 
Yeah, I, I think just like what gives this person credibility in the sense of like, you know what I mean? Like these are such bold and high claims. Yeah, I guess the credibility comes from the book that Allende had published, which was a book entitled The Case for UFOs or The Case for the UFO. Christian, do we know any more about Carlos Allende's background? Not really. They claimed to be involved with the experiment and they said that they had sources who could confirm the the statement about being on board the Furaseth, but it seems like they couldn't really concretely determine anyone who could corroborate that. Mm-hmm. So really, uh, it, the majority of it is just basically, yeah, this individual's story. Gotcha. Dang. Uh, I, I, would, I needed more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he wrote a book about UFOs. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That's wild. Keep taking me down this rabbit hole. This is this is some this is some over the top stuff. So now enter the Montauk Project in 1988. So this is 30 some odd years after our most recent fact about the Philadelphia Experiment. 1988. After watching a movie based on the Philadelphia Experiment, and there is one, a man by the name of Al Bielik began to attempt to resurface lost memories, detailing his own involvement in the project. Essentially. He watched this film and was struck with a very strong sense of deja vu, as if he had lived this. And he himself said, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to dig into these memories then because, like, there's something there. Uh, something very uncannily familiar. Brainwash, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah perhaps. Okay. He eventually connected with a man named Preston B. Nichols, where the two shared their stories and realized they shared a historical connection, essentially maybe... Uh, having been both party to what happened at the Philadelphia Experiment. In 1992, after recovering repressed memories, Nichols wrote a book with a man by the name of Peter Moon about his time involved with a government experiment at the Montauk Air Force Station in Montauk, New York. This book is called The Montauk Project Experiments in Time. In the book, he also recounts the experiences of Al Bielik, and another individual named Stuart Swerdlow. So similar, like if you remember the episode of John Titer, this is where the timeline of events becomes very difficult to follow because if you take it at face value, these individuals were brainwashed and all of the details around their stories and memories become very hazy. So the best we can do is try to outline these to the most detail that we have, right? Yeah. So we're going to break these down on a decades level basis and uh, highlight a couple incidents that were claimed to have occurred throughout the duration of this now Montauk project. Ooh, okay. All right. A lot of people with a Could you imagine how crazy that would be if you're just going like if we were just going about like our everyday lives, right? And then you got you, you maybe like a little bit of deja vu. Mhm. But with that deja vu comes something tangible. You're blasted in the face with a bunch of memories? Yeah, maybe you get blasted in the face with a bunch of memories and you have a memory of like a certain location, then you go to said certain location and there's something there, right? Like Mm -hmm. something tangible that goes, hey, this is real. These memories are real. I would lose my mind. You're like, yeah, I I had this vision at the end of an island. There was this military base and I think it was in New York. Oh, you're talking about the the Montauk Air Force Base? (laughs) Yeah. You're like, what? And then you go, you know what I mean? Like and when you go to there. walk up and you're like, I remember 
this door entrance and this was the key code. And exactly. You just, You're like, you hold on a second. Beep, boop, boop, boop. Oh my God. And then it just opened up. I'd be like, okay, this is too real. Get me out of here. That's when you go, nope. You turn around, (laughs) you walk away, but then you go, hold on a second. The camera zooms in on you. You're like, I got to go in. And you go down in there and then you you become disappeared. You would go in after the camera zooms in. (laughs) Yeah. You know, yeah. I get my hero shot. If listen, (laughs) if, if I suddenly had a code implanted into my brain, I don't know if I would question where it came from or how it got there, whether it was a repressed memory or aliens beaming info into me. But if it worked, if I walked up to a mysterious mm-hmm. door that I saw in my dreams and beep, boop, 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 beeped my way into a door. Yeah, I'm probably going to go. It feels like destiny. See, there's there's two types of people. There's me. Right. I just run away, you know, smoke cloud, everything. <laughs> you. I just feel like you'd be dancing your way in there. <laughs> Here, <laughs> here's what I'm would here. give me strength. Here's what would give me strength. Dancing in, that's number one. Number okay, two, yeah, yeah. Twitch in real life live stream. I'm going to IRL that beast and I'm going to head on down and I've got, I've got an audience with me, you know, a friend on my shoulder, as it were. Yeah, until service cuts out. <laughs> oh, you're right. This is probably some sort of bunker. You walk down in there like, all right, everybody, this is what's, this is what's going on. I come down in. Hello? Tap, tap. Oh, shoot. <laughs> hello? Oh, hello? Nuts. Echo. Hello? 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 And you're just in this, in this like dark, empty warehouse. You can't see two feet in front of your face. And you just, you stepped your way into some, man, I don't even know. You don't know what's down there. You don't want to wind wind up in area 50, well, area 52, because this is Mm -hmm. clearly in New York. Anyway, 1950, I do want to say too, uh, Montauk, just for those who want to know where that is, is on the very edge of Long Island, way out to the east, past the Hamptons that we're all very familiar with. We all go there. So back to the incidents surrounding the Montauk experiment and these gentlemen here. In the 1950s, after the Philadelphia experiment, researchers from that project and Project Rainbow, uh, the umbrella project that the Philadelphia experiment supposedly fell under, these researchers discussed the idea of continuing said research. And they supposedly sent a proposal to the US Congress who rejected it on the grounds of it being too dangerous. Which, again, if you take the Philadelphia experiment at face value, yeah, I I agree. Sounds very dangerous, and I don't really know if that's worth repeating. Yeah. Instead, they made a proposal to the U.S. Department of Defense. And uh, because the Congress had rejected it, the project would have to be kept secret, and uh, the DOD approved. And we are on our way. Now in the 60s, the project was set up at Camp Hero at the aforementioned Montauk Air Force Station, in Montauk, New York, and they installed an underground bunker beneath that base. In the 1970s, this is when the experiments began in earnest. Uh, This is when the timeline, again, becomes almost non-existent, and uh, so again, this is where we start to, to break down the incidents just in a bulleted list. We don't know what the order is, how these came to be, etc., but here are the incidents that were claimed following those experiments. I guess this first one isn't necessarily an incident, but it is a a piece about the facility itself. And it states that it was expanded even further underground than just a normal bunker to the extent that it included as many as 12 separate levels and hundreds, several hundreds of workers, which is a enormous base to have on the very tip of Long Island. I would imagine that uh, you'd start to get into some some very Mm -hmm. murky water that close to the ocean shore. Um, 
that's just me personally speaking, but uh, it's entirely plausible because it is a military base and you can't just have citizens willy-nilly venturing in there to either verify or deny that. Right. I agree. Yeah. But uh, some of the main claims were that homeless people were abducted and subjected to experiments involving electromagnetic radiation. There were also stories of runaway boys being abducted and subjected to mental and physical torture in an attempt to study mind control. Now, I don't think this is outlandish as it sounds because, to be very blunt about it, it's very hard to know if if a homeless person disappears because there's no one really interacting and tracking these individuals. Mm -hmm. They're off the grid. Yeah, they're off the grid and there have been declassified projects funded by the government, run by the government, that centered on mind control. So it doesn't sound like this is perfectly reasonable in my mind that this is going on. Yeah, it's not far-fetched at all. Yeah, especially considering uh, a project that we'll, we'll get into a little bit more later in the theories section, but the Project MK Ultra, you might be familiar with that, but it takes place in essentially the same time frame. It was commissioned in the late 50s and was decommissioned in the early 70s. They were real experiments. In fact, this might be an entire different episode in and of itself, but there are declassified documents about this this project, and it was all about mind control using uh, LSD, hypnosis, drugs for the sake of interrogation, and well, mind control, and seeing mm-hmm. if that was an, imbili- an ability inherent in the human mind. I 150% believe that they at some point in time have, or even to this day, still continue to try and figure out some type of drug or stim- like mind brain stimulation to mm-hmm. you know mind control people. Absolutely. And especially to your earlier point, right? Like if it's declassified, if it's public, you have to imagine it's either hooey and that there's nothing there or potentially more realistically that the government is already five generations past that thing. Oh, yeah. So whether it's mind control or some sort of drugs or interrogation tactics or invisibility or cloaking or whatever, you have to imagine whatever we know is a a few years (laughs) like behind what the government will allow you to know oh yeah i mean i i, I completely completely agree with that you know yeah. what I'm saying? like it's version we'll, we'll get a leak of like version two we're in the alpha own, phase you know yeah <laughs> like, and they're already like you know within their own confines full release version like 12 mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah i agree 100 so thus far i i tend to subscribe to what's what seems to be going on here it's very fishy in addition to that other claims state that people expressing psionic abilities or the ability to move things with their mind, make things appear and disappear, etc., that these people were discovered and brought to this base in order to continue helping them facilitate those abilities. Stuart Swerdlow, who I discussed earlier, claimed that his abilities were boosted to a strength that enabled him to actually materialize objects out of thin air, which is very interesting. And I actually, at this point in time, I think is a good point to mention that Stranger Things the Netflix show, if you're not familiar with it, mm-hmm. is based on the Montauk experiment and all of these kind of stories. And I'll continue to go into the other claims of these experiments, etc. But there are a bunch of claims. I'm not going to be able to address all of them. There are some claims that are on the fringe, as I would call them. And if you want an idea of the full extent that these claims kind of reach... I would point you to Stranger Things because Stranger Things touches on a couple of the things that we're going to continue talking about, but they also touch on a bunch of other things that some of these stories that that are based on some of these fringe stories. 
Right. Yeah. Fringe science. Yeah. But I, I want to focus on the more core core pieces of this experiment and the stories they're in, because obviously anybody can jump in and say, oh, I was also there. Here's another story. And I think that these are the ones that hold the most credence to me. And these are the ones that substantiate the Montauk project the most. Yeah. Filter, filter that to us. You know what I mean? <laughs> Let me know. I mean, I'm sure there's like hundreds of claims of this and that. Like mm-hmm. filter the ones to me, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that have yeah. the most credibility. So in addition to the psionic abilities, uh, scientists at the, at the Air Force Center there were supposedly creating serums in addition to that to, to help people with these abilities. In fact, some claim that these serums also gave people supernatural abilities beyond that. Uh, in order to create metahumans, which is very interesting. And uh, if that's a serum that's out there and it's stable, I'd like to try. Just a sample, just a taste. You know what? I rolled the dice. Just enough to fly, you know? I that's as far dice. as I need to go. I don't need a full injection. I don't need the full treatment. I don't mm-hmm. need to be Superman or anything. I mean, there was a, an, um, a Netflix show called Power where there was a serum and you took it and mm-hmm. you don't know what power you would get what power it would trigger but you'd get a random power um and that power is what you have it's it's tied into your your genes your dna so every time you take this the serum you'll keep triggering that ability which is cool you never know Mm -hmm. you know what i mean roll the dice but the second half of that you know what i mean um people blew up People were blowing up. See, people people just didn't have powers. They just blew up. Yeah. I mean, it's a a similar issue in X-Men or in The Boys. Like, it's it's very much a life imitates art sort of scenario because we've seen this so much in comics and in shows that there's a serum that can give you abilities. But, like, you can believe that if this was actually being done, serums of some caliber were made and injected into people, that, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's definitely going to be some nefarious outcomes, some morally corrupt issues happening yeah and all the more reason for this to never be declassified i mean if mk ultra can be declassified with what was going on there like it, it, it oh, i don't know i don't know yeah right it's not just gonna be all peachy like there's there's a mm-hmm. lot of bad things that are gonna happen they're willing to declassify some pretty dark stuff but like to me this is this goes a bit further i think you know mm-hmm. this is the fundamental state of your natural being right right Support for Red Web is brought to you by Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your personal grooming experience. They also obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your trimming experience. Listen, I've been in high school. I went through puberty. The minute I had, you know, below-the-waist concerns, I started getting in there myself. Boom! Blood everywhere. Not a good story. Not a beautiful story in, in the slightest. But that's why Manscaped is here to help your experience be better, okay? They've got the lawnmower, they've got the trimmer, they've got everything you need. And that's why Manscaped has redesigned their electric trimmer so you have a better experience. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest trimmer ever created for personal grooming and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. That's right, they have three now. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin-safe technology pioneered by Manscaped themselves. The waterproof technology allows you to get in the shower and groom yourself there too, so it's nice and easy, fits right into your morning routine. Let's not forget about the charging stand. It looks beautiful, looks great. It'll sit there right next to your sink 
fits with all your other gadgets and doodads in your in your toiletry arena. It looks great. Keep it profesh in the bathroom by the sink. You know what I'm saying? Get 20% off and free shipping with the code REDWEB at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Using code REDWEB, you could look at your screen to figure out how it's spelled nice and easy for you, R-E-D-W-E-B. Thank you very much, Manscaped, for sponsoring the show. Uh, but again, obviously going back, hearkening back to the Philadelphia experiment, um, the Montauk project also focused on experiments in teleportation and in time travel. In fact, a portal in time was supposedly created and developed into a stable rift that they called a time tunnel. And in August 12th of 1983, the, a time tunnel was somehow created and connected to an area in Philadelphia in 1943. And this is where Project Montauk connects physically through this time tunnel to the Philadelphia experiment. And the Eldritch, the USS Eldritch, was drawn into hyperspace, which explains its sudden disappearance. So essentially, I guess like, this is just my conjecture here, but I guess whatever technology they had at the Montauk base, they turned it on in order to trigger some sort of time tunnel, right? Mm-hmm. And then whatever technology that it was based on was stemming back to the Philadelphia experiment. And when they happened to turn it on back in 1943, maybe in the space-time continuum, these two points were the closest, most powerful points to each other. So like a electric shock oh. or like an arc of electricity, they happened to connect to each other. I see what you're getting at here. Yeah. And, and so that's what people are theorizing here is what happened, is that these experiments from the Montauk Project connected back to the Philadelphia experiment, and that is why the Philadelphia experiment had other things happen, right? The teleportation that Damn. wasn't planned. Yeah, and so like, so now it all starts to come together a little bit, and, and it to me it does that, you know, it makes some theoretical sense. I, can, like, I can get on board with it. I mean, it's it's like you know, it's like you told me right with 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 the first piece of what you of everything so far, the, the first season of a show. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we, we are, have a lot we, of questions. And, and we a lot were of just. Ifs. We just hit the finale of season two, okay? <laughs> Where season two, it's like, whoa, different setting. And then the end of season two, you're like, they're connected. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, granted, I don't subscribe to any of this, but I mean, the story <laughs> is, is okay. It's spicy. <laughs> like, so much of me, I, I totally understand that. But me personally, like, so much of my brain wants to believe in this because I, you know, I kind of want it to be true. I kind of want it to be an ability that we can time travel and jump in space and all that. Because the implications are huge and awesome, but also, yeah, I, I like the the skeptic in the back of my mind is still saying like, hold on, a lot of questions still. But again, going back to the theory, going back to the narrative here, it seems possible up until this point. Mm-hmm. So again, on this time tunnel from 1983, connecting back to 1943, uh, before it transported the ship back to its original location, two individuals supposedly leapt off of the ship and wound up at Camp Hero, which is again in Montauk. And the individuals were Duncan Cameron and Al Bielik. And after recovering his memories, and this is back in the, you know, Bielik is saying, I watched the film and now like, I'm trying to recover my memories. After he recovered those memories, Bielik was then claiming that his name was actually Edward Cameron and that he was Duncan's brother. And so he's basically saying that Duncan and himself were brothers and that they jumped off the ship and that's how they wound up in Montauk. They also claim to have met a physicist named John von Neumann at this point or at this location. 
However, this individual passed away in 1957, but some background on von Neumann, he was one of his generation's foremost mathematicians, and he actually worked on the Manhattan Project, developing nuclear weapons, but supposedly he also worked for the Philadelphia Experiment. But the U.S. Navy refutes that claim. Mm, so, Of course they do. Of course. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he was, he was a brilliant man and, uh, and, and gave a lot to the field of mathematics and, and also to the, obviously the field of nuclear weaponry, for better or worse in that scenario. Yeah. But after ending up in 1983, these two individuals, Al assisted those involved in the Montauk Project with harnessing Duncan's psionic abilities and the experiment went poorly and resulted in the time tunnel shutting down. Do we know how these two got back to their original time, Christian? According to the story, they didn't. They stayed in 1983. Interesting. Yeah. Oh. The only the only travel that involved going back was in the process of kind of closing the time tunnel. They sent people back to 1943 to the, the Eldridge and had them shut down some of the equipment on the ship. But no, uh, Bielik and Cameron stayed in 1983. Gotcha. And that raises a question that I'm actually going to answer myself right here in our notes, is that after this time tunnel shut down, the project as a whole was shuttered and the remaining workers were brainwashed in a way that their memories were wiped clean of the project. Because I was going to say... If Al Bielik, for example, is watching this film and is being reminded of the Philadelphia experiment, that he was working on it, but then he teleported in time into the 80s, how would he not remember it? Because he basically escaped the the brainwashing that happened yeah. after the Philadelphia... But, but I guess they did the same thing here to everybody at the Montauk Project. And so both facilities at both different points in time got the same brainwash yeah, treatment brainwash it's crazy i guess i guess okay. that would then also explain the obvious age issue because this gentleman supposedly jumped 40 years into 1983 had his mind wiped saw the movie based on the philadelphia experiment a few years later and then had the memories start kind of resurfacing and you would say well gentlemen uh, sir you're not old enough to have been around back then. And so this, I guess, is either his story for how he's this young because he jumped in time, or it's really what happened to him. Interesting. Another piece of this story, though, that I want to get into, that I, I didn't recognize it until I saw the picture, and it's just very interesting. I'm not sure if uh, I would fully put it with this experiment or not, but there is something known as the Montauk Monster. In 2008 a strange, hairless creature washed up on the shores of Montauk. And as with all visual assets, that'll be up on our Twitter page, at RedWebPod. You can check it out there, or you can Google Montauk Monster. And it, it essentially, the back end looks like a turkey roast with the legs <laughs> kind of out there. And then the front half looks a bit like, like, a, like a pig with the head of a large, angry, bald bird. There's a picture of this? Yeah, here, let me, let me send it to you. How do we not know this is just some artist that made a... What the... Okay, never mind. Hold on. You think what? that's an artist stitching together animals? What? He's got these shrimp-looking hands. What? I don't know, man. But it's speculated that this creature is actually from the nearby Plum Island Animal Disease Center, which could make sense. Okay. Especially if there was some sort of 
unknown disease to ourselves, uh, like this creature, this animal, whatever it might have been, uh, was stricken with and then somehow ended up in the ocean and then washed up on shore. I'm not sure. Uh, but the unfortunate part is that the body disappeared before it could be officially examined in order to determine what the creature was. So mm. it's a, a, it's a small, interesting tidbit to go with uh, the Montauk location. Again, it came decades later in 2008, washed up on shore. I'm going to need the world's best photoshoppers to tell me if this is a photoshop <laughs> piece or not like <laughs> i thought you were gonna call in like i'm gonna need the world's leading scientists for this one. <laughs> like, we who's can the, command who's that. the world's best youtube thumbnail maker I, <laughs> I need to be able to i need them to analyze this and to tell me if this has been photoshopped or not yeah i mean in 2008 you gotta imagine there's gonna be there has to be some sort of crisp mm, nice high quality imagery of this thing right <laughs> Right? Why? Wait. Mm. <laughs> ah, the quality of that picture. Because that's what you need, man. I'm just, it's so frustrating because you want to believe, right? You want to believe in cryptids and, and UFOs, but like, yeah, why like, is it always that someone pulled out the disposable camera from the 90s, coughed on the lens, and then went, oh my God, an alien Exactly. While they were sprinting the other way. You know, like that's how it always ends up looking. Look, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the, I'm the skeptic here. I'm the one that's just like, ah, nah, mm -hmm. that's not real. No way. I don't subscribe to them. But, and that doesn't mean I'm not sitting here. And if you're like, boom, evidence here it is. I'd be like, damn, okay, all right. Yeah. This is, this is the way in the world you know, we're, is. We're skeptics. We're ready to be wrong. Like, prove me wrong. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, and, uh, and that's why we wanted to kind of tuck all these this trilogy, as it were, together of these, mm -hmm. these time travel portal centric ones, because not only do I find them personally very fascinating, but, but they also kind of belong together because the frustrating part is like, you want to believe, but they're all much more based on story and, and like that evidential or the evidence-based stories are kind of, they kind of leave you wanting, right? Yeah. But anyway, they, they go well with the season, right? So so that's essentially what we have on the Montauk Project, which leads us to the theories section, which again, uh, much like uh, John Titer or Skinwalker Ranch, are much more simple theory sections as opposed to the rest of our catalog of mysteries. And it's simply that this is either a hoax or that there is truth to what's going on here. Right. And, and as always, I would probably say that there is somewhere in the middle. There is something in the middle that... There's some elements of truth here with elements of embellishment, but why don't we jump into the... The theories? The theories. Yeah, the claim that this Ooh. is all a hoax, because this might elucidate us a little further. Mm-hmm. So, in 1969, Allende, the man from the very beginning, the one who was writing all the letters, visited the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization in Tucson, Arizona, where he confessed that his story was a hoax. However... Complicating this issue even further, he later retracted his confession. And so it kind of leaves you at ground zero again, and it makes you wonder, okay, first of all, you, you, the, the mind wants to say, well, simple enough. He was probably just telling the truth and that this is a hoax. However, you have to, you have to take a little bit of grain of salt here and, and think, if this was real, if what this individual experienced or, or learned about in these experiments is real, you have to imagine there's some sort of pressure behind that, right? That's what I'm saying, man. Did you get hushed? Yeah, exactly. Is mm -hmm. the government after you? Is there some sort of pressure by some sort of secret cabal or whatever? Like, you're, mm -hmm. you're claiming to have information that virtually nobody else is claiming to have. Yep. 
And in, in that sort of scenario, you would be inclined to say, listen, this is just a hoax. I can't I can't deal with this anymore. Someone's going to threaten you. You're going to get pressure mm-hmm. from, from some form of government. Right. I believe that. But on top of that, Nichols, uh, his novels were widely regarded by the public as science fiction. However, he himself never explicitly said one way or the other whether it was science fiction or science nonfiction. In fact, in his first book, he and Moon, who he wrote with, said this, quote, whether you read this as science fiction or nonfiction, you are in for an amazing story, end quote. As well as describing some of the events in his book as, quote, soft facts. So there you have it, like, there's where you start to see, okay, there might be some embellishment here, there's definitely going to be some elements of truth in here, but reality probably lies somewhere in the middle. Yeah. It's also worth noting, I do want to say here, uh, that Swerdlow, another individual that I've mentioned a few times here, is uh, has contradicted his story multiple times. And that is, uh, that's the sign to me of embellishment. If you can't keep your story straight, if every time you go to talk about it, you know, your stories are different. But again, again, I have to force my mind. If I'm subscribing to this truthfully, Swerdlow was brainwashed and had his memories wiped. So you would you would expect someone like that to have some contradicting elements, you know? It's tough. Yeah. It's I guess what it really comes down to, and I and I've got some more details around this being a hoax before we get into the truth piece, but what it comes down to is your personal subscription. If you if like if the fact that the government has other declassified projects of similar nature, and if you subscribe to the fact that the brain can be manipulated in a way whether it be chemicals or otherwise, then you do have to start like thinking, okay, there's a reason why he might come forward and say it's a hoax when it might not be, or there's maybe a reason why his, his stories are contradicting. It just, I don't know. Face value here, it definitely feels very strongly as a hoax, right? When you when you say like, okay, his story's contradicting, he came forward as a hoax, yeah. et cetera. It makes you want to go, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. But again, but then we'll, you we'll sit jump, there I'm getting you, ahead of myself. We'll jump into the truth section here. But then you sit there and you think about it a little bit and you go, who told him to be quiet? Yeah. Oh, man. My mind's just racing. I'm getting ahead of myself. My mind's going all over the place. We'll get into the the idea that this is maybe substantial in a moment. But back on the, the, the rail that this might be a hoax, a man by the name of Edward Dudgeon served in the Navy at the time of the Philadelphia Experiment on a neighboring ship to the Eldridge, and he himself debunked Allende's story, saying that the ships were testing a way to render themselves invisible, not to the eye, but to radar. And that was it. So in addition to that statement, he also said that the Eldritch was probably able to get to Norfolk uh, relatively quickly due to kind of shortcuts, like military-specific shortcuts in the various channels between the two cities, and that the Eldritch actually used the Chesapeake-Delaware Canal, uh, which can get the ship from Philadelphia to Norfolk in about six hours. And so that's how he's trying to assess like, okay, people are saying it disappeared, teleported there. Maybe it just took this canal, which is military centric. And that's how it was able to get the trip done so quickly. And as for the two sailors who disappeared from the bar, Dudgeon actually was one of them. Uh, He was one of those two sailors at the bar and he and the other sailor were underage and were ushered out the back door by a waitress after other patrons started talking about military secrets. So it's interesting, not only that, like, cause like this was one of the pieces that I was hanging on, like this is, this is weird. 
You know, if I'm taking all of this at face value and there's a piece of technology making the ship invisible and teleport, why is it yoinking two boys out of the out of the bar and not touching anything else around it, you know? So it's interesting to have one of these two individuals come forward and try to debunk it. Man, could you could you imagine how frustrating it would be to be in a bar and then realize that there's military people there and it's a military bar and they're talking secrets and mm-hmm. so they're just like yo you gotta go but if we were just there sitting there you and i yeah just living like, your life i'd be like what, 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 what i could keep a seat damn yeah, like i was here i was waiting on my pancakes sir <laughs> you need to go can pal. I, yeah can i at least get my stuff to go <laughs> oh to be right there you know mm-hmm. i mean granted it's probably something really small and tiny right but Man, that's 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 frustrating. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, I, I, these boys certainly weren't brainwashed. I mean, if these were just sailors on the nearby, right? These were sailors on a different ship. Yeah, I'm still hung up on why it would pull these two sailors in particular out of a bar, you know. I, and so his story seems to le- like his story seems to make more f- real sense. And the last piece kind of playing into the hoax here is that the Montauk monster is widely believed to be a decomposed raccoon. Ended up in the water and (laughs) decomposed in a strange way, made it look strange. And maybe when it disappeared, I don't know how it disappeared or when, if it was in, if people like left it on the beach and then it disappeared or if they grabbed it or whatnot, but they left it out on the beach. I'm sure nature got to it, you know, birds pecking it apart or whatever. Or they figured out it was a raccoon and nobody wanted to say anything because they preferred the story of the monster. I, I don't know. I could see that. I, could, I mean, it, you know what I mean? It was kind of like, it was kind of like slim at the top. And once you get down to the waist, it kind of like, bam, you know what I mean? Hit you with a little bit of the backside. You know? <laughs> You're talking about a thick raccoon? Or? Oh, yeah, yeah. This was a thick raccoon. <laughs> so those are the pieces that go into the hoax theory. I think what really drives home the hoax theory most is Edward Dudgeon's piece here. Because if you want to take the stories at face value, I can understand a contradicting story with the brainwash piece. I can understand going back and forth on your claims of this being a hoax if you're finding that you're having some sort of pressure from the government or some sort of agency that might be after your information. I I can get that. But being the person in the bar that supposedly disappeared, man, that's hard to refute. Mm Mm-hmm. But as far as the truth pieces, and, and we kind of we kind of touched on this part a little bit earlier, there is a precedent set for secret, morally questionable government experiments. You know, we talked about MK Ultra. Again, that's a series of experiments that the CIA did to test the effects of various drugs on the mind for interrogation purposes, for mind control purposes, very LSD-centric and all pretty much concurrent to the Montauk Project timeline. There's other other declassified operations such as Operation Paperclip, which isn't so much on the scientific front, the experimental front, but is certainly in the morally questionable arena. It essentially was the initiative to bring on former members and leaders of the Nazi party and ingest them into the US government in various ways. Whether it be scientists or leaders or military folks, essentially absorbing some of those people into our government it was, it was in the space race. It was to give us an edge against our Soviet enemies, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're willing, you know, the government's willing to do some morally questionable things to, uh, in its own mind, make progress. So, 
Again, there's a precedent set for some things like this. But another piece revolving around the government that makes this interesting is that, as mentioned earlier, the Office of Naval Research contacted Jessup, the person who initiated this whole thing, which indicated that the government had official interest in what was being discussed here. And whether it was to just cover their bases or whether it was because they're trying to keep tabs on something that they obviously tried to brainwash out of these individuals is, uh, is up to your interpretation. But it's interesting that the government is showing interest here at, at such an official level. Yeah, that see, that's something that's a little tangible there. The government's mm -hmm. just like, all right, we're putting our hat in this, you know, dipping our toes in this real right. quick. Man, maybe if just the brainwashing was just what made everyone that's like talking about this stuff like crazy or a little over the top, you know? Yeah. I mean, to me, like if it really that's what it really all comes down to to me personally is the brainwashing mm -hmm. element. It is absolutely possible to scramble yeah. someone's oh, yeah. mind. Uh, especially if you look at projects like MK Ultra and the various potentially declassified or un or, or, or classified drugs that they might have had at their disposal to scramble your mind. They could also work with individuals who didn't have much of a background or didn't have any ties to other individuals. And those can, those are types of people that can disappear. Essentially, it all comes down to if you believe that people can be brainwashed or not, because that is where I, I'm drawing a line somewhere between truth and hoax. There is absolutely elements of both. And whether you want to lean more towards the truth side or more towards the hoax side, to me, comes down to that brainwashing piece, which is just fascinating to me. But yeah. I just feel like, you know, even if I don't think that a lot of this stuff is like real or true, I, you know, it could stem from like a piece of it, right? And that piece, like we're talking about, right. being the brainwash thing. And then from there, it just expanded to all of these wild stories and tales. Mm hmm. I mean, like, like I said earlier, just to quote Nichols and his book, I mean, whether you take this whole thing as science fiction or nonfiction or somewhere in the middle, it's still a fascinating story. It's mm -hmm. still very interesting. And and the, what really grounds it, like grounds my interest or makes my interest so large on this type of topic is because it's absolutely pulling on true threads. It's absolutely pulling on things that do exist, have been declassified and make you go, oh man, but like super what if though? Like what yeah. if? The last piece here for it being a true event is that Nichols and Bielek maintain that some of the type of experiments that were being done back then are continuing to this day. Despite the fact that the land was converted to a state park in 2002, and the fact that the military base was decommissioned many years earlier, it was found that the radar dish on the property had turned to face a completely different direction, essentially indicating that the base might have had some secret goings on in the bunker underneath. And it did this multiple times over the course of the next few days, and the authorities that investigated could find no real reason as to why it was rotating, and they seemed to indicate that the integrity of the structure was sound, so it wasn't that it was just drifting or being blown by the wind in some way. It was slowly pivoting in a way that either it was tracking something or that it was just a big heavy piece of equipment and took time to refocus in a different direction. But that seems to lend some credence to the idea that maybe some secret experiments are continuing there to this day. But why there though? There's so I mean, there's so many people there. You know what I mean? <laughs> like why would you why would you do all that next to such a big population? Yeah, like why decommission the base, 
and then draw people out there by making it a park. I mean, if it stayed as a military base that was active, but just lightly active, then it's like whatever. Mm-hmm. Your whatever goings on could maintain under the cover of just normal business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you you kind of have a little bit of a distance. You're way off on the end of Long Island, so people aren't going to stumble into that way. It's uh, it's interesting. It's very interesting, man. I mean, we, you never know. I mean, if you're, if, if you're all about, you know, going down this rabbit hole, maybe there's a, a specific area in the Earth's gravitational rotation that aligns properly in that area. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there's just excess energy or something. Yeah, could be something like that. Or uh, Personally, I would think it might be more like it's strategically important to the military because it's out on the tip of Long Island, meaning it's surrounded by water on most sides it's on a peninsula and if they've got ships in some way that they can kind of be first responders to anybody trying to attack new york or they can keep an eye on heavily populated areas and around there you know you, there's probably military bases all up and down the east coast so when it came time to do this experiment i'm not exactly sure why they picked this base over another mm-hmm. it might be that it was up on the outskirts of this island and so they could get a little bit further away from populations, as opposed to Norfolk, which is a very populated city and a tourist destination and all right, that. Right, right. So, or it could be other things that, you know, like, you, like you're indicating, like grid lines lining up, you know. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Well, but that you know is what? the Montauk Project in we'll a nutshell. Know. We'll never know. We'll never know. I will say real quick, according to Nichols, part of the reason that this site was chosen is that mm. it was remote. Monsoc was in a tourist attraction at that point, and access to the water would allow equipment to be moved in and out undetected. Bingo, bango. Oh. Nichols knew it. Okay. Well, we'll never know most of it. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know, like, we don't normally end this with us officially claiming what our stance is but these ones are just like some of those really like outlandish like fringe science ones i definitely find myself somewhere in the middle here probably leaning more towards embellishment but with strong grounding in truth like there's definitely something that went on some sort of experiment at some level to what extent that's what i'm not certain of. yeah i mean i love it you know what i mean because i mean we'll, we'll get back to the usual you know you know mm-hmm. conspiracies and whatnot but like taking this this whole entire month to just go off the rails and take a look at like the different stuff like this is i don't know it was nice it was fun i look, yeah, forward, nice I look forward, forward to doing it again <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll come back to like ufos and and like fringe science and all sorts of things like that i that's mean the so supernatural crazy. encrypteds are absolutely on the menu for this show but we want to keep it cycling we want to try to dabble in as many different mysteries and conspiracies as possible whether it's on the mm-hmm. internet or in real life uh true crime and other stuff like that but uh if you guys like the show uh leave us a five star review if you're listening on itunes make sure you subscribe if you're on any other platform and uh, the best way to help us out is uh, share it with a friend if you think you have a friend who loves conspiracies and mysteries and loves doing like little deep dives like this feel free to share it to them is the best thing you could do for an audio podcast like that or like this. And if uh, you stumble uh, in your life across a mystery that you've never heard of before or that you want us to uh, do a deep dive on. In fact, Montauk Project was one of the highly recommended ones from you guys. So thank you very much. If you want to recommend us uh, mysteries, you can always tweet us. Again, you can put it in the reviews. You can let us know in the various many ways that social media allows you. 
and we'll find it. We'll put it on the list. We've got a long list to come, but we look forward to seeing you guys next Monday for another mystery. Fredo, I'll see you then. Oh, I'll be here. Maybe. <laughs>